From Pacifica Radio, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. Elsewhere in California, on KFOI Red Bluff Redding, KKRN Round Mountain, KGOE Eureka. In Oregon, on KYAQ on the Central Coast, KSO Cottage Grove, KEPW Eugene. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU. Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, Seattle, Washington, KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM950, KTNF, and coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the globe five days a week, as usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. But today you got me. I'm Nicole Sandler. I host the Nicole Sandler Show, and it's based at NicoleSandler.com. And here we are in the home stretch toward 2020. What a way to end the year, huh? Donald Trump has been impeached. Unfortunately, so many people in this country don't know that a president is impeached in the House and then a trial to determine whether he'll be removed from office is held in the Senate. We're schoolhouse rock on impeachment when you need it. Well, schoolhouse rock no longer exists. But the next best thing might be Alan Grayson. Yes, you heard right. The former outspoken congressman from Florida has written a new book. It's called High Crimes, the Impeachment of Donald Trump, in which he not only lays out the case for impeaching Trump, but also gives us great historical perspective on past impeachments in U.S. history. Remember, it's not only presidents who can be impeached or who have been impeached. Before Trump, there were only two presidents, Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton neither of whom were removed from office. But 17 other U.S. officials, most of them judges, have been impeached in the same manner. And Alan Grayson's book examines them all before getting into the nuts and bolts of the impeachment of Donald Trump. We'll hear from Alan Grayson a bit later in the hour. But we begin today where Brad and Desi left off in the last episode of the broadcast. It was the day after the Democratic debate held at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. As usual, they had great post-debate coverage. As for me, well, I got to speak with one of the candidates. Yep, Tom Steyer. He was the last candidate on the stage to qualify for Thursday's debate. His campaign, like many others, is struggling. Now, I've been quite outspoken about my thoughts on Tom Steyer's candidacy. I think... Frankly, he has no possible way to win the nomination. And I believe his campaign is nothing more than a giant ego trip. When I read that this billionaire was jumping into the race and would spend upwards of $100 million, 
I was frankly disgusted. Well, I finally had the chance to tell Tom Steyer directly what I've been saying on the air and to make my pitch for a much better way to spend $100 million. Hey, Tom, it's Nicole Sandler. It's nice to meet you. Nicole, nice to meet you, too. Thank you so much for making yourself available. I really appreciate it. As I was telling the listeners... I tried to get you on the show a few years ago, shortly after you founded Next Gen America to talk about your climate initiatives and the work you were doing, because I thought it was really wonderful. You were never available, so we never connected. And so once again, I'm thrilled that uh, that you're here with us now. So <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so uh, I, we saw the debate last night. Uh, how do you think you did? Look, anytime I get a chance to make my case to millions of Americans is a great night for me, okay. honestly. And that's how I see those debates, is a chance for me to tell people why I'm running, which is basically we have a broken government that's been bought by corporations, and why I think I'm the person who can take it back for the people. Now, you know what my history is? Yeah, tell and us. So, you know, that is just a great chance for me, Nicole, and I loved it. Okay. Well, good. And and look, I believe you're in it for the right reasons, but let's put all the cards on the table here. Do you see a path to the nomination for Tom Steyer? Yes. I, the day I can't, I quit. Really? So- Nicole, I'm not doing this to make a point. I believe that I have something to say that's differential and that I have a different history and I, and, and I have a different story to tell than everybody else on that stage. And so I believe that when Americans hear that, I mean, I'm not a famous person. No. I really am not. Right. And so I'm doing everything I can to put that in front of Americans because I really feel like it's necessary. And, and I'll give you an example. I'm the only person on that stage who will say that climate's my number one priority. Okay. The but, only one. Right. I agree. Everybody knows it's a priority, but I'm the only person who will say it's my number one priority. I'll declare a state of emergency on day one. I'll do it. From the, from the standpoint of environmental justice. But you know something, Nicole? I've done it from the standpoint of environmental justice. I've done this for a decade. I'm not just talking about it. I know that unless you start in the communities, predominantly African-American, Latino, where you can't drink the water that comes out of the tap or breathe the air safely, unless you start with leadership from those communities, you don't get the right policy. And I know that you don't have the right coalition. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've done this for over a decade, and that's why we've won. So when I'm talking about climate and when I'm talking about what it's going to take, I'm not making it up or reading a book. I've been doing it for over a decade and beating these corporations and pushing clean energy for over a decade. And it's the number one priority. Look, why am I doing this? Because somebody has to do it. Because we have to take this crisis and deal with it and turn it into an opportunity to rebuild this country and reinvent this country in terms of job creation and union, supporting unions and paying people fairly and also leading the world again because it's a, it's, a, it's a global problem. And the only the United States can bring the leadership to actually solve a crisis that involves not just us, but every other country on the planet. Right. Now, I agree with everything you just said, Tom Steyer. I, and I love your passion and the fact that you jumped into this. You founded Next Gen America back in 2013. You, you're, you're putting your money where your mouth is. You've been, but, but again, I need to question, you're, you're on a stage last night with six other candidates who are running, and there's still another 10 or so out there who are allegedly running. And you think you, Tom Steyer, the guy who you just said, I'm not famous. You have no background in politics. You have no track record 
other than, well, you built a business, you, you, you did Next Gen America, you started NeedToImpeach.com, which I know you spent a lot of money on and built a huge mailing list. But again, I'm looking, you know, looking at the poll numbers, realistically, you think you have a path to the presidency. I'm, I, I'm sitting here in Florida, and I'm reading your website, which, by the way, is TomSteyer.com, S-T-E-Y-E-R. And right Thank at, you, Nicole. Sure. And right on the homepage, you have Meet Tom Steyer, and there's Tom's story. And you, I read the whole thing. It's, it's a fascinating story. You've got a great story to tell. You've lived a wonderful life. You've been very successful. You get down to the bottom of the page, and it says, Tom wants to hear from you. Tell him your story. So, Tom, I want to tell you my story, uh, if it's okay. I'm, I'm a 60-year-old woman, just had my birthday last month. I've been in radio my entire adult life. I studied radio in college. I had a successful career in New York, in Los Angeles, moved back to South Florida when my child was starting kindergarten, and I raised her down here. Ten years ago, I was doing a nightly program on Air America Radio, a progressive talk radio network. And 10 years ago, a month from tomorrow, on, on January 21st, 2020, the same day that the Supreme Court ruled on uh, Citizens United and said money equals speech and, you know, uh, corporations are people, my friend, Air America Radio went off the air. This followed... A decade earlier, the Telecommunications Act of 1996, signed by Bill Clinton, by the way, which opened up the floodgates for consolidation, meaning one owner could own many, many radio stations and television stations in a single market. And then technology happened. The internet came in and something called voice tracking happened. And one person can sit in a studio in one city and do a radio show in any other city in the world. And people think they're in the studio there. It destroyed my industry, radio that I love, to the point where I'm unemployable. So when Air America Radio went off the air 10 years ago, I moved online and that's what I do today. The, the radio airwaves back in the days of the Fairness Doctrine used to be fair. We'd hear all viewpoints expressed on the radio. It was mandated by law that you had to, uh, you had to present opposing points of view. That doesn't exist anymore, and now the airwaves are dominated by the right. I saw a newspaper article, Tom, on July 9th, 2019, in the New York Times, and the headline read, Tom Steyer will run for president and plans to spend a hundred million dollars on his bid. I'm thrilled of your success that you have a hundred million dollars that you can just spend on what I perceive as a quixotic quest for the presidency. What we could do with a hundred million dollars to get progressive media back on the airwaves in this country, to give people like me a livelihood again, to get our voices heard where we're now drowned out, I wanted to get that across to you because I think you could do so much with this money. You could still, you could be the head of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency under a President Sanders or a President Warren and do what you need to do, what I think you can do so well, but you could use that money to, to help get our voices heard rather than, you know, spend it on television ads that, that I'm sorry, I, I, I'm nothing if not honest, they're not going to get you elected president. Can I respond to this? Please, one? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, start, let me start back with where you started. Okay. You said, I have no background. Actually, I've spent a decade putting together coalitions to take on these corporations. Mm -hmm. And we've passed laws. We've passed 
clean energy laws. I've taken on the corporate, the tobacco companies, and passed a two-dollar pack cigarette tax that raises three to four billion dollars a year that goes directly to Medi-Cal. I've closed a billion-dollar corporate tax loophole and given the money to the public schools. I've passed clean energy, 50% clean energy, in three states outside of California. So, in fact, I have been, I've worked with activists to prevent pipelines and to prevent the building of fossil fuel plants. Actually, I've had a history of success of taking on these corporations as an outsider over a decade. Okay. Secondly, in terms of the polls, if you actually look at last Monday's poll in the first in the four early primary states, I, and it's, I think it's called the morning console poll, I'm at an average of 10%. I, I've been in this race for less than half the time of most of the people, and I've consistently moved up. And the last thing I'll say is this. I started one of the biggest grassroots organizations in the, in the country, which is Next Gen America. Mm-hmm. In, the, in 2018, we did the biggest youth voter mobilization in American history. I'm still supporting it. NextGen has a deal with seven national labor unions to go door-to-door. We've knocked on over 25 million doors in the last two election cycles, and I'm still funding that. So for all the people who are worried that, in fact, what I'm doing is just running for president, I'm doing all the grassroots stuff that I've been doing for a decade, supporting it. I'm not legally allowed to run them anymore, but we're still doing it. I'm still supporting the need to impeach movement that I started. So, in fact, you're concerned that all I'm doing is running for president. Actually, it's not an. No, I'm order. concerned about the I'm fact that progressive. The I'm concerned about the fact that progressive voices are being drowned out of the air. We have no voice. Fox News and right wing talk radio control the airwaves. We need to be heard, and you can do that. You can make that happen, Tom well, Steyer. But what I'm trying to do, and what I believe in, is that we're going to have to retake the government of the United States. Without a doubt. That's the way we're going to do all of this. And so that's why I'm doing this grassroots organizing. That's why I've been doing it. That's why I've been fighting these corporations. That's why I'm running for president, because I'm trying with everything I can to take back this government for the people so we can break the corporate stranglehold on our democracy that's killing you and killing me and killing everybody else. All right. Um, uh, well, I hope you heard what I said. I, I hear what you're saying. I, are you I hope you I, heard what I you said. You know that my mother came out of college and was a reporter, and then she wrote the evening news, and then she produced the NBC evening news. Well, then you you've I got didn't hear growing up. Donald you Trump. I didn't hear growing up the absolute sanctity of news yeah. and the fourth estate, and that if we're going to have a democracy, we need clean reporting, and that that is a calling, not a business. Well, I've heard that since I was in Okay, but we are—we do not. We have a president calling the press the enemy of the people. The the media and, and, has been and vilified. I'm trying, and I'm doing everything I can to retake this government for the people because that's the answer to that is the thing we have to do for the thing you're worried about and for climate and for to get a, a, a affordable health care as a right for Americans. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. Retake this government for the people so we can actually serve the people again and not the corporations. Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's what I'm doing. All the time. Okay. Well, thank you very much. It was nice to talk to you again. Nicole, it's (laughs) wonderful to talk to you. I'd love to meet you face to face. Would love that too. I'm in South Florida. When you get down here, we have a date. And I would also love to wish you and everybody else a joyous and loving holiday season. Thank you very much. The same to you. Too. Well, I tried. Still to come, my conversation with former Congressman Alan Grayson. He and I had a bit of a falling out four years ago. This is the first time we'll have spoken since then. Of course, I must try to clear the air. So that's coming up, as well as a look at the latest news and an airing of the grievances 
I'll explain that one next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today on the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm your guest host, Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi while they enjoy some holiday time off. Yes, it is the holiday season, but the news still goes on. So let me give you a brief rundown of some of what's happening today. The New York Times this weekend reported that Donald Trump officially decided to freeze the Pentagon aid to Ukraine just 90 minutes after he spoke with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in that July 25th phone call. Citing recently released emails, the Times says that budget official Michael Duffy told the Pentagon to keep quiet about the freeze due to the, quote, sensitive nature of the request. The Pentagon was court-ordered to release 146 pages of documents to the Center for Public Integrity, thanks to a FOIA request they filed in what really amounts to the final Friday news dump of the year, (laughs) the Friday before Christmas. Thank you very much. Saudi Arabia has sentenced five people to death for the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. He was a Saudi journalist and a Washington Post columnist who was critical of Saudi Arabia and Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's policies. Khashoggi was allegedly killed and dismembered on October 2, 2018, in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul by men with close ties to the highest levels of the Saudi government and Mohammed bin Salman himself. So much for falling in love, North Korea is planning to adopt a hardline policy that involves abandoning negotiations with the United States and taking denuclearization off the table, this according to a source familiar with its thinking. Kim Jong-un is threatening some kind of Christmas surprise. They fell in love, right? Experts at George Mason University and the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil said Friday that deforestation and other changes in the Amazon are threatening to turn the rainforest into a savanna and release billions of tons of carbon into the atmosphere. The trends reportedly could soon be difficult to reverse. In an editorial published by Science Advances, the two scientists said the precious Amazon is teetering on the edge of functional destruction, and with it, so are we. Today we stand exactly in a moment of destiny. The tipping point is here. It is now. 
And in a related story, as of Sunday, more than 105 wildfires were burning in New South Wales, Australia, the country's most populous state and home to its largest city, Sydney. Of those fires, 59 are considered out of control. Officials estimate 100 buildings across the state have burned down in the last 24 hours, adding to the 724 homes that have already been destroyed during fire season, which began early this year due to a combination of extreme heat and severe drought. Sound familiar, California? In other news... Donald Trump is in Florida for the holidays. Yes, he is at his Mar-a-Lago for-profit resort in Palm Beach, Florida. This trip pushes the tab of Donald Trump's taxpayer-funded golf vacations past $118 million. By the way, that's the equivalent of 296 years of the $400,000 presidential salary that his supporters often boast that he's not taking. Just saying. And it is holiday time. Christmas this year is on Wednesday. Of course, many people are spending Tuesday, Christmas Eve, doing some last-minute shopping. Hanukkah, the Jewish festival of lights, began Sunday night. Hanukkah, of course, celebrates a miracle in which one day's worth of oil burned for eight days and also celebrates the victory of Jewish freedom fighters over the Syrian Greek forces that tried to wipe it out in the second century BCE. Now, the seven-day Kwanzaa festival begins Thursday. Each night, celebrants light a new candle on the Kenara, a kind of candelabra representing the holiday's seven principles, unity, self-determination, collective responsibility, cooperative economics, purpose, creativity, and faith. But no holiday season would be complete without... A Festivus for the rest of us! Festivus begins on December 23rd each year, and in case you're not familiar with the story of Festivus... Take it away, Mr. Costanza. Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. When George was growing Jerry, up, no. his father no. hated all the commercial and religious aspects of Christmas, yeah. so he made up his own holiday. Oh, and another piece of the puzzle falls into place. All right. And instead of a tree, didn't your father put up an aluminum pole? Oh, Jerry, no. stop it. And then weren't there feats of strength that always ended up with you crying? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to work. You happy now? Welcome, newcomers. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. And now, as Festivus rolls on, we come to the feats of strength. Not the feats of strength. This year, the honor goes to Mr. Kramer. Uh-oh. Oh, gee, Frank, I'm sorry. I got to go. I have to work a double shift at h and I thought you were on strike. Yeah, well, I caved. I mean, I really had to use their bathroom. Frank, no offense, but this holiday's a little out there. Kramer, you, you can't go. Who's going to do the feats of strength? How about George? Good thinking, Cougar. Until you pin me, George, Festivus is not over. Oh, please, somebody stop this. Let's rumble! I can't do the take of George. 
Georgie. Hey, come on. Be sensible. Stop crying and fight your father. <laughs> Ow! Oh, I got This is I the got best it. Festivus ever! Of course, Festivus includes the airing of the grievances. I can sum it up in two words. Donald Trump. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side for my long-awaited conversation with former Congressman Alan Grayson, the author of a new book called High Crimes, The Impeachment of Donald Trump. That's next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host on this edition of The Bradcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host. I live in South Florida. About a decade ago, a little more actually, I struck up a friendly acquaintanceship with then-Congressman Alan Grayson. He was a regular guest on my show, and I was a big fan. Who could forget the way he introduced himself to the American people? You remember this. The Republicans' health care plan for America, don't get sick. That's right, don't get sick. If you have insurance, don't get sick. If you don't have insurance, don't get sick. If you're sick, don't get sick. Just don't get sick. That's what Republicans have in mind for you, America. That's the Republicans' health care plan. But I think that the Republicans understand that that plan isn't always going to work. It's not a foolproof plan. So the Republicans have a backup plan in case you do get sick. If you get sick in America, this is what the Republicans want you to do. If you get sick, America, the Republican health care plan is this. Die quickly. That's right. The Republicans want you to die quickly if you get sick. Now, the Democrats have a different plan. The Democrats say that if you have health insurance, we're going to make it better. If you don't have health insurance, we're going to provide it to you. If you can't afford health insurance, then we'll help you to afford health insurance. So America gets to decide. Do you want the Democratic plan or do you want the Republican plan? Remember, the Republican plan, don't get sick. And if you do get sick, die quickly. Thank you very much, Madam Speaker. Of course we remember Alan Grayson. Well, in 2016, Grayson launched a bid for the U.S. Senate seat, allegedly being vacated by Marco Rubio here in Florida. Unfortunately, he had a primary opponent, a conservative named Patrick Murphy, who played the party game. Unlike Grayson, who, although he enjoyed great success in the House working across the aisle to pass a record number of amendments, he rubbed Democratic leadership the wrong way. So they sidled up to Murphy. In what I saw as a move of desperation, out of sync with his ideals and ideology, 
Alan Grayson joined then-presidential candidate Hillary Clinton's Florida Leadership Roundtable. At the time, Bernie Sanders was still engaged in a very contentious primary. And we know how that turned out. But I was disappointed in Grayson's move and sought clarification from his office, who, after numerous tries, confirmed to me that it was, yes, an endorsement of Clinton. Well, I questioned Alan about it on my show at the time at length, and it then got back to me that he didn't appreciate it. We hadn't spoken in four years until Thursday of last week, the day after the House of Representatives impeached Donald Trump. Alan Grayson's new book, High Crimes, The Impeachment of Donald Trump, was just released on Tuesday, and of course I wanted to speak with him, but knowing me, I had to bring up what happened to clear the air. Alan Grayson speaking. Hey, Alan Grayson. It's Nicole Sandler calling. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Welcome back to the show. It's been a long time since we've spoken. How have you been? I've been fine. Uh, wish I'd had a few more votes in the last election, but otherwise I'm fine. Um, I understand. Now, the last, well, the last election, you actually ran for Congress again in, the la- in, in 2018, um, you challenged, uh, is it Darren Soto up in the Orlando area in the primary? And um, it, it just didn't happen, right? Well, it didn't happen for a specific reason. We were doing fine until the son of Rupert Murdoch, the owner of Fox News, decided to run more than half a million dollars of really harsh, brutal, negative advertising against me in the last month of the campaign. Ouch. Well, that, that, that never helps. And, you know, this is something that we talked about many times over the years, and it has to do with um, the uh, uh, Citizens United and the ridiculous campaign finance laws that are on the book. And until we get money out of politics, I'm afraid we're screwed. And, and we're seeing it play out right now in the presidential primary with Michael, or as he's now known, Mike Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, throwing in hundreds of millions of dollars in their, of their own money into their campaigns to buy the election. Uh, I'm guessing you're not a fan of that. No, but I'll tell you, this is really taking it a step beyond that. This is a Republican leader, the head of Fox News, Mm -hmm. uh, a a figure to the party and a figure to the the vast right-wing conspiracy, as someone once called it, um, dictating the outcome of a Democratic primary. Uh, He spent half a million dollars to determine who would be the Democratic nominee for Congress in that seat. And I think that that's shocking. Yeah. I mean, how would you feel if if we saw uh, Trump suddenly uh, running uh, ads directly in favor of, I don't know, Tulsi Gabbard oh, God. <laughs> or or uh, di- directly against Bernie Sanders? Yeah. Uh, how would you feel? That's that's what happened to me. Wow. Uh, they they financed uh, an enormous amount. Of, they were running ads against me every 45 minutes on the local uh, Telemundo station every 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. Well, I guess they didn't want you back in Congress. Um, now, I'd be re- we're going to talk about your book. You've got a brand new book out. It's called High Crimes, the Impeachment of Donald Trump. And you go into depth in depth about impeachment, the history of impeachment in this country, not only presidents who've been impeached, but others who've been impeached. You, you uh, recount the history and then you go into what's happening now. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But, Alan, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that we haven't spoken in over four years. Um, and I, we had a misunderstanding um, some years back when I, I went back and listened to our last interview. 
this morning, knowing you were coming on today, to refresh my memory over what happened. And I, you know, you know me well enough after all these years to know that I don't, I don't hold my tongue. I say what I think. And I called you out on endorsing Hillary Clinton. And what I understood from a number of people is that you really held that against me and actually blamed me for your primary loss to Patrick Murphy because I did call you out on that? No. No? No. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I wish wish that uh, you or some other liberal uh, radio figure had that kind of influence. Yeah, me too. But I don't think that anybody does. <laughs> Certainly I, not me. I think that's well beyond your, your ability or or uh, any of my other friends. Uh, uh-huh. I don't think Stephanie Miller could have pulled that one off nope. or, or Tom Hartman or, or anyone else. So, no, I, I don't think I ever said to anybody that I held you responsible for my loss to Patrick Murphy. Uh, I held Patrick Murphy's father responsible for that uh-huh. since he promised $10 million to the party if Patrick Murphy, his son, were the nominee. And then when the party delivered on that, uh, that he actually gave him half a million dollars. So I would say Patrick Murphy's father is, it was far more determinative of the outcome in that race than you were. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, look, I never believed that, but it, that, that's what came back to me. And I knew you were not happy with that, you know, uh, that last interview. And No, I, I, mean, I, I mean, if you really want to get into it, I wasn't happy about the fact that you mischaracterized what I did. I did. I, I was the fourth member of Congress and, and the last member of Congress, if I recall correctly, to endorse Bernie. I didn't, I didn't endorse Hillary. And that was, that was the uh, point of my consternation that I felt that you were inaccurate in that regard, but my goodness, who isn't these days, right? Right. Uh, right. Uh, I guess. Um, all right. I don't want to rehash old issues. I, I needed to, I, I couldn't just ignore it. I had to bring it up because that's what we do as civilized human beings. We talk it through. Uh, I hope there are no hard feelings. I was, you know, disturbed by what I learned then. And now here we are four years later and it's water under the bridge. We have bigger fish to fry at this moment, most notably uh, a real criminal in the White House. So um, you're a, a you're a lawyer. You're a, you're you were you practice in the federal courts or you did. Um how have you been these past three years watching Donald Trump do his ugliness to this nation? Well, I, I, I'm disappointed, and in particular, I was disappointed that I didn't get to vote in favor of his impeachment um, and to lead the charge against him. I mean, the, that's basically the reason why I wrote this book, uh, out of the sense that I was watching a, uh, a constitutional train wreck occurring right in front of me, and uh, I wanted to try to do something to prevent it. Uh, I don't think we've even scratched the surface when it comes to uh, impeachable offenses by this president. And what I did in the book at impeachbook.com, what I did in the book uh, was to go through every single case of impeachment and even expulsion from Congress, which is a different process Mm -hmm. in American history, and try to find anybody uh, who could measure up to the high crimes and misdemeanors of this particular president. And uh, I did that. And in every single case, I found that whatever you're talking about, whether it's abuse of power, obstruction of justice, bribery, corruption, emoluments violations, sexual misconduct. We've had a few of those in this country and yeah, for impeachment yeah, yeah. and even tax evasion. All those things, all those different impeachable offenses. Trump has done worse. Trump is literally the most impeachable public figure in the history of America. 
So, so what, what do you, what did you think when, when they came down and only introduced two articles of impeachment? Do you think that was adequate enough? Well, it's a start. Uh, it's a good start, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, frankly, it's it's just too narrow. And I think that Trump exploits that. Uh, you know, Trump's whole modus operandi is to say a lie, and then while you're sort of chewing on that lie, save three more lies. Mm-hmm. He commits an impeachable offense, and while you're sort of chewing on an impeachable offense. He commits three more impeachable offenses. It reminds me of what Naomi Klein wrote about a few years ago in her book, The Shock Doctrine, mm-hmm. uh, where, where she pointed out that if, you, if you're constantly doing bad things, um, people become confused and even inured to it and unable to address it properly. That is Donald Trump in a nutshell. Um, and I, th- I think that uh, the only way to hold him accountable is exactly to do this. The Constitution gives you other, no other way to do it. I mean, we're, we're in a situation where you can just issue some kind of slap on the wrist on him and try to restrain him. In fact, when the Mueller report came out, as I saw it, and I wrote about this in Chapter 12 of the book, uh, Trump basically felt unbound. He felt that, that uh, he was invulnerable. Mm-hmm. So in the past four or five months, he's committed seven or eight more impeachable offenses. Right. Well, and this is just this just happens to be one of them. That's all. Of it's course. One. Well, the, the fact that the day after Mueller testifies is the day that he gets on the phone and tries to shake down uh, Ukraine Zelensky uh, to do his political dirty work for him. He you know, he just thumbs his nose at everything. And what I said earlier in my little rant at the top of the show is he's committing death to democracy by a thousand cuts. It's like one thing after another, after another, after another. They could have introduced probably 50 articles articles of impeachment and still not covered all of his impeachable crimes. It's just that the, the old adage of throwing so much against the wall and seeing what sticks. Donald Trump, I believe, thinks that he can just keep doing all this stuff. And the more he does it in plain sight, the more he can gaslight the country and say, look, I've been honest with you. I'm doing this. I'm not doing anything wrong. And the Republicans in Congress are letting him get away with it. These, A lot of these people are your former colleagues, Alan. Do you talk to any of them? Have any of them confided in you about their true feelings about this man? Yes, as a matter of fact, they have. And I, I think that many of the Republicans feel completely constrained about this. They can't possibly say what is actually on their minds, but they're literally ashamed by him and, and frankly, bullied by him. Uh, a certain number of them are victims of the Stockholm syndrome at mm-hmm. this point, you know, that he's held them captive and they started to be charmed by their captor. But the larger number of them uh, feel that he's a jackass, <laughs> well, um, that. and 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 they're they're ashamed and embarrassed by him as president of the United States. They 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 also have a, a feeling that he's doing a lot of harm to them, uh, and, and harm to their prospects with the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the the polling is not as horrific as it might be. But they know the fact that they just lost a race in, in Kentucky, of all places, for governor. The fact they lost a race in Louisiana and, and so on shows that he is uh, basically eroding uh, the Republican base in this country uh, and causing what will turn out to be long-term damage while he acts like a clown in front of them and everybody else. So, yes, I mean, the, there, there are enough um, people in the Republican Party uh, both ideologues and non-ideologues in both cases who recognize the sheer awfulness of Donald Trump and um, 
feel that they have no choice in most cases but to go along with it, either because they're afraid of what he'll do if they don't, or because uh, they're afraid of, of uh, the, the awful division in the party that will result if they don't, that will weaken the party just as badly as the party's weakened by his leadership. It's it's a no-win situation. I mean, for everybody, obviously, it's no-win for the country because it, it, we're we're in this place where we're being led by a, a would-be dictator, uh, a, a, a heinous excuse for a human being, just one of the most vile creatures I've ever heard. Every time he opens his mouth, it's a lie. It's a childish insult. It's name-calling. It's, it, you know, it's behavior unbecoming of a seventh grader, let alone a president of the United States. It's just horrendous. And then you look at someone like a Lindsey Graham, who... Um, all I can think of is there There must be more than photos out there of him. What else? Is he just that that freaked out of uh, uh, the prospect that he will lose reelection and be unemployed? I, what what else could motivate him to so compromise any integrity he had left? Well, I think in his case, he's clearly a victim of Stockholm syndrome, mm. and that's the best uh, wow. explanation of it. But getting back to what you were saying about conduct unbecoming, yes, I, I don't think you have to necessarily be that general. I mean, for instance, he, Trump has clearly violated the emoluments clause. That alone yeah. will get you tossed out of office. It has gotten people tossed out of office. But in terms of conduct unbecoming, you know, we, we've had two federal judges who were, were uh, intoxicated on the bench. Um, and they were impeached and removed from office because of that. Again, this is getting into the book. Um, and uh, their names were Pickering and Delahaye. One of them was a protege of Abraham Lincoln. Um, and you, you, the, you actually, there's a record of what they said on the bench that, that was so horrified people that they decided they could no longer serve as federal judges. And it's nowhere near what Trump has said every day with his tweets. It's right. nowhere near it. right. Trump is way beyond them in terms of conduct unbecoming a federal official, much less the president of the United States. And that's true across the board. Uh, just two years ago, to give you another example from the book, Eric Greitens was uh, the governor of Missouri, mm, and um, he uh, was facing impeachment and being thrown out of office, resigned in the face of certain impeachment and, and exclusion from office mm -hmm. uh, because he had committed sexual misconduct with one woman. One woman. Um, it was not his wife. Uh-huh. And um, where are we with Trump now? I mean, <laughs> at the time I, I finished the book, we were at 34. Wow. There were 34 women who were identifiable by name in the book. It's a whole chapter about this in the book. 34 women who claimed sexual impropriety by Donald Trump, grabbing them by the crotch or whatever it was, whatever it was, up to and including rape. And now, with a new book coming out last month, because of the shock doctrine, nobody knows these things anymore, mm -hmm. the count is somewhere above 50. Wow. So we, we impeach and remove from office a governor two years ago in Missouri for misconduct with one woman. But Donald Trump does it 50 times with 50 different women or more, and somehow he gets a pass. That doesn't seem right. No. 
Not at all. No, it doesn't seem right at all. Uh, Nothing seems right about what is happening to this country at the moment because of Donald Trump. Uh, Congressman, former Congressman Alan Grayson is with us. We're talking about his brand new book. It was just released a Tuesday. Perfect timing, Alan. Uh, It's called High Crimes, the Impeachment of Donald Trump. You can get all the information about the book at a website, impeachbook.com. And so I'm looking at the table of contents now. And as I mentioned earlier, and you were just mentioning as well, um, the whole first part is putting things into a historical perspective. Um, We know that Donald Trump is only the third president to be impeached in our history, but other people have been impeached in other offices. You have, um, and 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 a lot of uh, charges have been brought up against them. You go back to, uh, in in the instance of bribery, you uh, you have tell the stories of Vice President John C. Calhoun, Skylar Colfax, right. Spiro Agnew, who uh, some of us might remember, um, bribery in office, corruption, emoluments. Uh, obstruction of justice. It goes on and on. So this is nothing new. These things have happened throughout the years because it is in the Constitution, because it is the constitutional remedy to deal with somebody in office who is violating his oath of office. Donald Trump, though, you know, you mentioned emoluments. He's guilty of so many emoluments clause violations. But when confronted with it, he calls it the phony emoluments clause. It's not phony. He called the impeachment a hoax and phony. It's not phony. This is the constitutionally mandated way to address somebody like Donald Trump. And yet his followers, his sycophants, go along with this. Oh, it's a hoax. How do we fight back against that? What's new is this, though. What's what's new is this. Uh, In the book, I very carefully comb through every person who'd ever been impeached in the United States, governors, vice presidents, presidents, uh, judges, and, and so on, even a few foreign examples. Okay. And uh, at most, at most, I could find people who had committed two impeachable offenses. Donald Trump has committed dozens, yeah. dozens of them. And as I went through the, 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 these examples of the, the worst, worst villains, thieves, and scoundrels in all of American history, that's what they are. They're a rogue mm-hmm. gallery of American mm-hmm. history. Um, I found only one who even remotely approached the kind of misconduct on an everyday basis that you're seeing here. His, his name was Pa Ferguson. He was governor of Texas, and he did something interesting. Um, he had a political opponent who ran against him and lost. So it's the Trump-Biden scenario, but not not quite yet. Uh-huh. Um, so what he did is that his opponent went to work on the faculty of the University of Texas. He was unhappy with that. So he told the trustees of the university, I want you to fire him. Not I want you to indict him like Trump did with Ukraine. I want you to fire him. Wow. And they said, no, we're not firing him. We are an independent institution. You don't control us. We have our own budget, et cetera, et cetera. So what Ferguson did was he zeroed out the budget for the entire University of Texas. Oh Zero, not just cutting $400 million in aid, but the entire budget for the University of Texas wow. um, on account of him not firing his political opponent. Um, and he got impeached and removed from office for that. That was Trumpian. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> Trumpian. Down yeah. The largest public college in the entire United States because of one political opponent and the fact they were sheltering him. That was worthy of Donald Trump. But that's it. Oh, wow. you, you don't find anybody else has the same kind of grandeur and grandiosity at the same time. This, someone who, 
who thinks big in terms of misconduct and does it so promiscuously. Nobody else. Nobody comes right. close. Right. And, and, and then again, you've got a, a look at, at what happened yesterday and watched every single Republican vote against those two articles of impeachment. Put the first one aside. Put aside abuse of power for a moment. Because, you know, although I know he's guilty of everything they charged him with, let's say that one's debatable. Obstruction of Congress. Donald Trump ordered his the people who work in the administration, people who used to work in the administration, anyone anywhere closely in his sphere of influence. He ordered them to defy subpoenas, to not turn over any documents, to not cooperate at all. The definition of that is obstruction of Congress. And yet they voted against that 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 article. How with what rationale can they do that? Well, again, compare, compare and contrast the way I do an impeachbook.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton yeah. uh, was I- impeached yeah. on an obstruction of justice charge because allegedly, it's never actually proved, allegedly, he interfered with two witnesses, not in his impeachment case, but <laughs> rather in the Monica Lewinsky case. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that was enough to get him impeached. Donald Trump has ordered dozens and dozens of people not to testify before Congress about everything all the way from his impeachment to climate change. He's ordered people not to testify before Congress because of the fact that he's trying to eliminate climate change as a term for the English language. And and there is no rational basis by which anybody can conclude that he hasn't obstructed justice. He hasn't right. withheld information from the Congress, from the courts, from, from anyone else. And, and he's made the, the term executive privilege into something almost godlike. So, yes, in, in much the same way, as I described earlier, everyone else who has committed uh, obstruction of justice in all of American history and in Beachford is an absolute piker, an amateur compared to Donald Trump. Right, right. So what should what should Nancy Pelosi do now? There, there's an argument being made that she should hold on to those articles of impeachment and not turn them over to the Senate as long as Mitch McConnell insists that he will not be an impartial juror. He's admitting up front this will not be a fair trial. What should Nancy Pelosi do here? I, I don't see an end game to that approach. I know that some people are excited about it, but I, I, I know how that ends, which is Mitch McConnell just smiling and saying, yeah. well, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then the articles of impeachment never get sent over. Um, so I, I don't see where that's going to lead. And, but, but if they do get sent over and he doesn't give um, a, a, a fair hearing, there, there's nothing fair about it. They won't call witnesses. They won't run a fair trial. And they acquit Donald Trump, who then it gets even more empowered to say they they vindicated me. I'm uh, I'm not guilty of anything. They're the crooks, uh, and and it frees him to be even more disgusting and despicable in his actions, if that's even possible. Is there is there a win in this situation? Uh, yes. Um, I, I again, having done the research I did for impeachbook.com, I can tell you that that's something of a misconception. Okay. That's not the way the process actually works. Tell us. Um, it, 
it, I'll tell you, uh, it, it works pretty much the same way as a jury trial works. Uh, the, the basic model on which all this is based is that the House is the grand jury mm-hmm. and the Senate is the jury. Right. And um, in the Senate, the prosecutors uh, are the impeachment managers sent over by the House. So when they go over there, uh, they'll, they'll be accepted, sworn in, whatever you want to call it. There's a rule about this in the Senate rules. And then they stand up and they function the way that prosecutors do in a courtroom. So, for instance, they can attempt to call witnesses. Mm-hmm. The House impeachment manager sent over by Pelosi can call witnesses. At that point, there'll be some kind of objection from somebody, inevitably, and then there'll have to be a vote on it. Uh, nothing prevents the House managers from publicly harassing and humiliating uh, the Republicans by forcing a vote on each specific witness whom they want to testify. That looks a lot like a cover-up. Mm-hmm. So the notion that McConnell can just wave a magic wand and make all this go away is not in accordance with political reality and also not in accordance um, with the procedures that actually apply to impeachments in the Senate. Okay. Do you see, do you see any possibility of this wall of obstruction uh, breaking of any any senators, any Republican senators actually weighing the evidence and voting based on what's presented in this trial? I think that they'll take McConnell's lead. Uh, you know, if we had um, a, a, a McConnell's under a lot of pressure right now. Um, Trump won his state by 30 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same state three years later just elected a democratic governor. Yes, they did. So there's a 30, 30 point swing between the presidential race and the, and the governor's race in three years. Mm-hmm. And that's a swing against McConnell. And then God bless him. The, the day after he was sworn into office, just as he promised he would do um, this conservative democratic governor restored voting rights to uh, every convicted uh, felon in the state. Uh, including, by the way, 27% of all African-American males in the state. Kentucky had the highest percentage of ineligible African-American voters in the entire country. Uh, 27% of all African-American men in Kentucky uh, were convicted felons, could not vote last week. They can go out this week. They can vote next year. And I'm pretty sure they're going to vote against Mitch McConnell. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's under uh, a good deal of pressure. Um, recognizing that um, Trump is dragging him down. Um, he's, his, his popularity is close to nil in his own state. All he could do is what the Republicans always do, try to slime the other side um, and hope that they can survive by being the least ba- worst of, of the candidates. But who knows if that's going to work or not? Um, you know, they, he, he may decide that um, it's him or Trump. One of them's going to have to go. And uh, since we're talking about Mitch McConnell, I'm pretty sure which one that's going to be. Right. We'll right. see. Um, you know, the, the, these reports that 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 he's going to coordinate with the White House. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm skeptical about them. I mean, that seems like something that Donald Trump would put out there. Right. But Mitch McConnell Mitch said McConnell. it. He, we heard him say it from his own mouth. That's, you know, that's you what's know, frightening. Uh, well, We'll we'll see. It's always hard to say exactly what old marble mouth means when he says anything. <laughs> um, 
We'll have to wait and see you know. what particular gurgling and gargling um, he meant when he said that. By the way, you, you mentioned Citizens United yeah. uh, early in the interview. Mm-hmm. The uh, closest I've ever come to Mitch McConnell was in, when the decision was actually handed down. He was two seats to my left. Um, he and I were the only elected officials in the courtroom when the Citizens United oh, case came down. And he was gurgling and gargling and like crazy that day. I mean, I, I couldn't tell if he was laughing, chortling, or some other orifice was emitting something or other. I really couldn't tell in his case, but he had a good day that day well, in that courtroom. you know, that day, we're coming up on 10 years, Alan Grayson. In fact, the date was January 21st. Uh, 2010, and I remember it so clearly because that day was the day that Air America Radio went off the air, and in fact, you were scheduled to be my guest that evening, and moments after I got the news, uh, first that Citizens United decision came down from the Supreme Court, and that Air America Radio was done, uh, you called to tape our interview for my show that night. So you were my guest that night 10 years ago, and we're coming up on that horrible anniversary uh, in just about a month. Yeah. yeah. Time flies, doesn't it? On that same night, it? I said on MSNBC that it was the worst case decision since the Dred Scott case, and that we do nothing you can kiss this country goodbye. I said <laughs> that on Keith Ellerman's show, and we've done nothing. We've and we've done, done nothing. nothing, and here we are 10 years later. Um, we are, this, this is it. If we don't fix things now, I fear that Donald Trump will destroy this country, whatever's left of it. Um, read the book. It's called High Crimes, the Impeachment of Donald Trump. Congressman Alan Grayson. You can find more about the book at impeachbook.com. Alan, I'm glad we spoke. I, I, I'm glad we reconnected. I hope you'll come back again. And uh, it's good to talk with you again. Thanks. You too. There you have it. Congressman Alan Grayson. As far as I know, he has no plans of running again, at least not in 2020, but who knows, that could change. And with that, we come to the end of another edition of The Bradcast. I'm Nicole Sandler, inviting you to check out my show, my podcast, my website, everything is there at NicoleSandler.com. Feel free to explore and peruse at your leisure. If I don't speak to you before the holidays, have a happy whatever you celebrate. But if you're around, so am I. We'll be back for the next edition of the broadcast with it with some fun for Christmas. Until then, as Brad always says, good luck, world. <laughs>